Welcome to the Creative Tools podcast. My name is Ashay and I'm immensely passionate about using technology for creativity. On this podcast, I talk to various creators about what tools and technology they use to be creative. My guest today is Julianne Bonnet. Julianne is a writer, photographer and digital artist who draws inspiration from nature and concepts of emotional healing. She holds an MFA in English and Creative Writing from Mills College as well as a credential to teach college composition. She can often be found wandering the hiking trails of Santa Cruz County in California with her camera slung across her back looking micro for breathtaking moments of quiet discovery. While her photographs almost never have people in them, her photographic art composites are 100% people-centered. Hi, Julian. Thanks for visiting my podcast. Hi, thanks. It's nice to be here. So let's dive right in. Uh, First question, what do you create? I create what are called uh, photographic composites, um, which to me means taking elements of existing photographs and removing them from their existing context to place them into a new and imagined context. Oh, nice. So is there, is there uh, like an example that you can talk about? Uh, like, is something recent that you made? Well, um, you know, a, a simple example would be, and this is controversial, um, like if a photographer takes a beautiful picture of a mountain, but the sky looks very flat and two-dimensional, some photographers might put a different sky behind that mountain to make it look more dramatic. So that's kind of like the most simplistic idea. Another way of describing it is kind of digital collage. So just kind of taking a bunch of different elements that you might not find in the existing world and just having fun with them. And when I visited uh, your booth uh, at the festival, you also had some, uh, uh, they were not just photographs, right? They were like some 3D uh, things that I could touch. Uh, Is that correct? Am I saying it correctly? Um, Uh, Or were there just uh, uh, like 2D composites? They were 2D composites, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, so then uh, let me go to the next question. So I'm a filmmaker and when I make films, um, I usually go through three uh, processes. One is pre-production, which is before I even touch a camera or before I even touch a sound recording uh, device, I plan and think about uh, the the story. Then then the production piece where I... uh, get record content and then the post-production which is editing and release so uh so i'm i kind of want to talk about these three things for your uh creation so for the pre-creation part like before you create uh the composites that you were just talking about um how do you get inspiration for them uh how do you record your inspiration and when you want to create them how do you retrieve that inspiration I think the pre-creation is, a, is about as low tech as it gets. I mean, my, my pre-creation process involves walking alone on the beach or walking through the forest and 
we live on five acres deep in the redwood forest. So um, a lot of alone time, a lot of wide open spaces. And I find my background is as a poet. I have an MFA in creative writing. And um, the process for coming up with poems is much the same, just have wide open space, let the ideas flow. So that's kind of the, the pre-creation process. It's just kind of seeing what comes up. And then I just kind of hold them in my memory until I can get to my iPad and then I just kind of go for it. So oh, that's okay. the, the pre. So usually, yeah, but usually what, uh, like for example, if uh, because I make films, I watch a lot of films and I watch a lot of content. And uh, let's say find some great scene that could be an inspiration for me. Uh, a similar thing happens with me as well. Like I try to uh, etch that into my memory, but then when the inspiration hits and when mm -hmm. I'm actually creating the film, there could be years in between, right? Right. So, so, so I have to completely rely on my memory to to, <laughs> to retrieve the inspiration that I that hit me many many years ago. So, do you have do you uh, do any tricks or anything like that to make sure that you don't forget your own inspiration that you that hit you many uh, many years ago? I think I'm trying right now, you know, my kids are, I have one that's grown and one that's 16 going on 17. So mostly grown. And so, you know, I'm finding I have more time to do this kind of thing. So um, generally, if I have an idea, I get very excited about it and I just go create it, you know, oh, right away. Right away. So yeah, it's just something. And, and I have this feeling that if I, don't like if I sit on an idea for too long I'm probably not as excited about it as I should be and maybe it doesn't deserve to be seen <laughs> so <laughs> but uh, but do you always find resources to make the that reality when uh, the inspiration hits you or that's a good question I mean no not always I mean part of Part of my creative process involves a, uh, a collective of photographers that I belong to. So if I, you know, add into the pool of photographs, I'm allowed to take from the pool of photographs. So for instance, mm. if I have a park bench in, you know, a, a digital composite, um, it's just not realistic or practical for me to go, I'm going to go fly to New York City and go to Central Park and take a photo of a park bench. Like that's mm. just not going to happen. Mm. So um, these pools of photographs are very handy um, for being able to search for things that I'm looking for. Um, that being said, sometimes they don't exist. So something as simple as a park bench might, but I recently had a piece that I wanted to work on. Um, that involved a nightstand next to a bed. And I just can't find the right nightstand and my nightstand is not the right nightstand. <laughs> and so, you know, I took the closest thing I had or I could find and kind of, you know, made like a, a crude mock-up of it. And, and I am still thinking about it. So I guess that's kind of what you're talking about that I, I went into Photoshop and kind of was like, this is kind of what I'm thinking and then put it away. And, and if I'm able to find or create that nightstand, I know that sounds really stupid <laughs> to find a picture no, of no, a no. nightstand. Yeah. But, um, you know, I deal a lot in dreamscapes. So, you know, that makes so sense. That, 
yeah that's that's one of the challenges that i face too like whenever i f- see something a picture or a scene or anything like that that could be inspirational for me to create something later i store it let's say in in a folder or on my phone but then uh years later when i actually would ha- would love an access to my own inspiration i kind of have already forgotten that i, I had, <laughs> exactly I, <laughs> I, I i i had stored it somewhere so if uh, so can you talk about this collective again because this is really interesting and i had never heard about this so is this like a a, a digital collective where you could yes. upload images and then you could use images from other yes that's oh, exactly okay. what it is yeah um going back to what you said earlier i've i've made notes about things in the past where i'm like oh my god this is such a good idea and then i make notes i find the note like a year later and i'm like what is this you know, i have no idea what i was talking about and then i'm like well in the trash you know this this great idea so um uh so this collective is it like a um is it like a repository of pic- photos uh, online somewhere yes uh, where, okay Yes. Mm, so, yeah. So that's it's super great um, to have that. And you know, the other the other challenge in that is like nobody's going to put their best photos there, right? <laughs> Those are for sale. So um, that's the other challenge is is you're not going to find the best of the best just working with that. So I think everybody does the best they can with their own images and the images that they can have rights to. So. Uh... I was just like uh, browsing internet few days ago and like browsing LinkedIn and I found this new machine learning thing where uh, you could type text of what you are thinking and it would create an image for you uh, based on that. So uh, Oh yeah, that's that's a real yeah, that's a big topic right now the AI uh, yeah. image generators. Image generators. They, Yeah, they, you know, the way, you know, and I mean, I'm 52. So I mean, maybe I'm biased. um, But, you know, I, I have a problem, not with the image generators, but with people who use them and then call themselves artists. Because, you know, they're, you know, they're being sold to people like, um, you know, create NFTs with the, you know, and I'm like, who's buying those? Like, and I, I think sometimes I'm concerned that, you know, art really is about, as an artist, it's about process. And a friend recently said, I think that artists would get bored with, with AI because there's really no process to it. But um, there's, you know, my, my brother once described Coldplay as mediocre music for the mediocre masses. <laughs> and, and um, you know, that the same can be said for art, that sometimes people, some people are drawn to things that are easy. Something people are, you know, some people might type three words into an AI generator and go, look what I made (laughs) and it's like it might be cool but like it's like if if I do the AI um email writing you know they have that too the AI uh writing software and if if I tell that uh, you know write an email saying the project is done and it says hi Bob I just (laughs) finished the project let me know if you have any questions like did I write that email no I didn't um, and by the same token, if I say, 
create an image in the style of Picasso containing a reclined nude woman, um, the generator is making all the decisions for me, yeah. where she's placed and all of that. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's going, but it makes me very nervous. <laughs> you so know? I think I kind of look at it as like, I, I mean, again, I'm a filmmaker and I, uh, I, there are like uh, generators now, they're not just image generators, but video generators as well uh, with text. And I kind of also got nervous just like you when I looked at it, but then I realized maybe could this be an inspiration tool? Like, okay, um, as you mentioned about the nightstand thing, like, okay, I am imagining something in my head that could involve this object, this object, and this object. Let me see what this can create. And I can use that as an inspiration for, for something that I want to actually realize. I may not use the thing that I, the, the generator made, but I may use it as an as a starting point for my thinking. So, um, uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking like in litigation terms, are we then <laughs> getting into like litigating plagiarizing robots? <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it past the American legal system. <laughs> Who owns that, you know? Okay, great. So th that's great. So now let's move on to the, uh, the creation piece. So, um, uh, so again, I will tell you what my perspective is and what I have observed while making films. And uh, you tell me if that resonates with you or it, your process is completely different. So um, so usually in the creation piece, there are two things that happen. Um, one is uh, you build a prototype, like prototype meaning the creation already gets built in the head first. And then what the next step is shaping the prototype. So shaping meaning it's kind of a process of elimination. So like, it's like you are, um, you, you create an opportunity to make choices on what you should remove from, uh, from what you have in front of you and shape the creation that you already have in your head in a physical form in front of you. So for film, that, that's what happens. Like when, when I am imagining a film, the film is already in my head. Now I have the video, I have the audio data in front of me and all I have to do is uncover the film that I have in my head from, right. from, from the mess that I have in front <laughs> of me. So do you also feel similar experience or, uh, or do you have some other process of thinking about this? It's, it's interesting because I, like, I don't know how you conceive of films. Like if you, if you have like a basic storyline or something like that, you know, I mean, I have a background in writing. So if I'm, if I'm thinking about a story, that's different than the way I would think about a poem. And I think the digital composites for me are, are essentially digital metaphor or visual metaphor. Hmm. So um, more akin to poetry than to story. And um, at least the ones that I make. And so um, there's probably less of a mess involved with that than there would be with a story with multiple characters. And um, so it's probably less involved of a process in terms of like putting things together and editing. Mm -hmm. um, but I do find that I might have an idea and then add to it. Hmm. which is different than, than having to take away and kind of pare it down. Um, as a rule, I like to have at least three elements that mean some in each piece. Otherwise it doesn't feel complete to me. And um, so sometimes I'll have one main element and I'm like, yes, 
but if I can't find the other two, it's a no. There's not enough meaning. There's not enough kind of layering of uh, metaphor. So um, I don't know if that answers the question. That 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 does. So what what uh, I think that's your mental template. Like that that's what you have is like okay, I want three elements in my uh, in my composite, and if it does, if they're not there, then uh, it's incomplete. But then my question is, how do you remove the destructive nature? of your creation like for example i will tell you what um uh what digital technology has done for creators is offer them an opportunity to make a choice like for example um earlier if you are painting on canvas uh you would paint something and now if you want to see another variation of it you have to create another one like you have right. to create another canvas and then paint another stroke of color or something like that. But what digit what digital technology did was you create something, you copy a version of it, change something, and see if that makes uh, that that's better. You copy another version, change something, and now you have a choice to choose from. Like you have options to choose from, right? Like that's one, right. two, three, and then that that thing is really fast. So yes. Uh, so do you? Uh, do you use any technology to uh, to create an opportunity for you to create options like create an option to make a choice from those options or you just go and create your physical uh, artifact oh absolutely um i think you know in terms of you know creating these in photoshop there are a number of different elements there has to be a compelling background behind the compelling subject um and in order for it to not look too flat, you need some kind of, I guess, what I would call air texturing. So that would be like a fog element or a dusty light element or kind of a spotlight element. And sometimes getting the layering right is the biggest piece of the puzzle. Hmm. Like, should the light go in front of the subject or behind the subject and where should the you know the dust or the fog go i find those um and those are kind of like preset items that yeah. technology affords us you know yeah. it's like it, it's not practical to to have to create fog yeah yeah, yeah. Know, whatever so <laughs> right. it, it's not going to add my fog would be terrible um so yeah it it is really nice to be able to create a layer in Photoshop, try one textured air variation and then go, oh, no, 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 no. And then just delete that layer and try right. another one. Correct. So yeah, that's that's a really helpful thing. Yeah. And uh, but then uh, if you are doing this in Photoshop, then you are probably creating a layer, then uh, selecting to be invisible and then create another one and then select, uh, create, I mean, toggling the visibility of that layer and then see the variation between the two. But um, uh, is do you see them side by side or do you just like see them in sequence? You know, I keep everything um, intact. Like I have everything visible all at once. Oh, okay. So I'm always working where I can see the composite or the composition as a whole. Um, because sometimes a piece might have, you know, let's say if a piece has eight photographs that you're working with, including the background, um, you can still have, you know, even 20 layers or more because you make, um, you make 
adjustments, clipped adjustments to oh. those layers. So you might okay, be okay. adjusting the color or the brightness or something like that, the lighting. Mm. Um, that gets a little confusing because some of the layers show up as just white squares and you're like, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> which one is that, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's easier for me, I think, to, to see it all Okay. as it exists on screen okay and then has it uh when your creation is done uh so sorry let me back up a little bit the so you are using photoshop to make your actual creation correct like or yes. uh, okay okay so once that once you are satisfied with what you see in front of you um do you just uh X, I mean, do you just release it as a digital creation or you print it on some uh, material or something like that and then use that as your actual creation that you want to release in the world? So what I usually do is I'll bring it back into Lightroom and then I'll play around with some filters um, okay. to kind of like create more of a mood um, either with color or lighting or something like that. And then I do leave it as a digital, uh, a digital okay. file. So um, my pieces are on uh, my website, julianbonet.com is um, hosted by a platform that kind of does automatic fulfillment. So like if somebody wants a metal print, hmm. um, they then send it over to Bay Photo and Bay Photo uh, takes care of making the metal print and shipping the metal print. And, and I really like that. That's, that's kind of, you know, the, uh, the production aspect of it. Um, but, uh, everything is digital. I, I just recently started doing limited editions on cotton rag paper to see how people felt about those. Um, so the jury's out on that still. Hmm. People seem to really like the metal. But uh, do you have any kind of like a quality check process or something like that when like someone orders a metal print and then uh, your original creation is this, but then when it actually gets printed on metal, it may look different. So then, uh, so how do you make sure that it looks exactly the way you had imagined it or, uh, or that is taken care of like by some other tool or some other mechanism? I think some other mechanism, um, you know, it's supposed to be kind of the RGB color process, which then is supposed to ensure that the colors remain fixed, right? Ah, okay, okay. But I have heard instances um, of, you know, Bay Photo is supposed to be extremely good and extremely mm -hmm. consistent. But I have a friend who's a nature photographer um, who said that he's had prints come back that are not exactly right hmm. so if if anybody ever had a problem with that i have no doubt if they contacted me and i contacted bay photo they would fix it i know oh, okay. they would okay so hopefully that would be the exception great the rare exception um i want to go back to the um the addition of layers thing that you mentioned in photoshop so um uh so again, uh, if I go back to my filmmaking uh, craft and how I make it, like when I, whenever I make something, let's say uh, I add grain uh, to my film or I add a vignette 
to my to my video and then uh, once i like it i basically save it as a template so that i can use it for my uh, other videos yeah. and other films as well so do you also templateize your uh, your parts of the creation yeah absolutely i mean something is as simple as a balloon uh -huh. um i i had one piece that had a balloon in it and then i had this other piece where i was like i think i'm going to put a balloon in it and then i had another piece that i was like i think i'm going to put a lot of balloons in it. <laughs> i don't know it's like a thing right now but i was able to take that same balloon and um make it different colors you know so mm, i didn't yeah. have to go through the process of removing the balloon from the background every time so yeah. that's that's really uh a handy thing that digital technology affords us right right great and have your creations themselves acted as your inspiration for other creations like outside of digital composites no 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 no, no. so like let's say you created something uh today mm -hmm. and six years later uh probably the same creation that you created today acted as an inspiration to do something else uh, oh absolutely i mean i think that you know you can get you know just like if you eat at a restaurant you're like oh i love this and then you keep eating at that same restaurant <laughs> it's kind of the same idea right, right where you're right. like um i have one you know with a woman in a jar and then i was like oh, I'm going to put something else in a jar and then something else in a jar, you know, it's like you kind of get into the, the balloon rut or the jar right. rut. But I feel like it's it's always the psyche trying to work something out, you know. Yeah. So I think there's always value in just following your imagination and seeing where it takes you. Nice. Um, OK, so let's now move our focus to the post creation activities. So once uh, once you are satisfied with your creation, uh what's your release process looks like i mean and by release i mean uh usually the creations are released from the creator right so i mean it, it doesn't matter who sees it but it's basically now i'm not going to make any changes to it so it's right like, it's like a release from my side so what's your release process and what's your distribution and marketing uh process like how do you use technology in that so you know the first the first testing of the waters is usually on Facebook or Instagram, like personal accounts and seeing how people interact with them. Um, you know, and it's, it's always interesting. The ones that I'm like, Oh my God, people are going to love this. They're like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you know? and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, and then the ones that I'm not so sure about sometimes people go crazy for. So um, sometimes my immediate community is a good litmus test mm. of, of kind of the viability of an image. Um, you know, from there, I will go ahead and put them onto my website if I mm. think that they're good enough. And um, and then I'll put them on my, my uh, Instagram um, and, uh, and go from there. I, I'm, I only started doing this in January. So I'm extremely new to it. And um, so kind of that, that post-production, piece of it is the piece I'm still trying to figure out. Um, like the marketing piece and mm. and that sort of thing. Do you use any uh, post scheduling tools or something for your Instagram? Or... Not yet. Um, okay. Okay. Again, I think, you know, I'm you know, being that I'm as old as I am, like Instagram is still not super uh, intuitive to me. 
but I'm getting better at it. And, um, and I was able to attach, I have another website, fairygoatmother.com. And that one is kind of more where people at a lower price point can get like a t-shirt or a mug or, mm. you know, think a puzzle, things like that. And so it's, I think the complication is figuring out who to funnel where. So mm. it's kind of like, who do you send to fairy goat mother and mm. who do you send, you know, to julianbonet.com. Um, and that's a piece I'm still trying to work out as well. Um, cause I'm trying to keep the Julianne Bonet website as kind of like the higher end pieces, you know, um, and not like, Oh, get a mug. But, um, but people are asking for the lower price point items. So it's like, you have to cover all bases. So I think very soon I will be using those scheduling features on Instagram. Okay. Great. Um, so, uh, in from my personal experience whenever i'm making a film or editing a film sometimes what happens is i feel extremely lonely with my <laughs> with my creation it's like if, only if someone could help me <laughs> to, to navigate through what i'm going through right yeah. now so do do you also have uh, similar experiences with your creation like do you feel lonely when uh, when you're creating something yeah i think there are plenty of times where i'm like help i need a trusted adult <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to tell me, what do I do? How do I do this? You know, um, and you know, my own parents, they, you know, I, the, the first thing I ever wanted to be was an artist. When I was five, I came home from kindergarten. I was like, I want to be an artist. And they're like, don't be ridiculous. You'll never make any money at that. And like, just don't, the dream died, you know? And um, on my 52nd birthday in January, I was like, screw that. <laughs> I'm just gonna do it and so I just picked up my iPad and started doing it and I was just like okay so um yeah there there are plenty of times that I I wish I had kind of like a, a mentor or or somebody who you know and I guess like if you have a community of filmmakers do you have a community of filmmakers well some like my uh I have a team it's not just filmmakers but I have a team of like a cinematographer or a screenwriter so parts of the filmmaking process I have like very trusted folks that I surround myself with so that whenever I have a challenge in thinking I can just rely on them and then get some advice yeah. But do you feel like when you're feeling lonely, is that kind of in your creative process? Or? Yeah, it's like a yeah. creative block. Like, okay, uh, whenever, whenever I'm editing this, and I mean, most of the times, like, uh, it's like, uh, if I have to make a creative decision, I don't know whether I'm making the right decision or right, wrong right. right. And, and I wish there could be some help or some guidance on just understanding whether I'm making the right decision or and then yeah. the, the, the challenge with creative process if filmmaking is a team activity, right? And then what happens is no, when you are working in a team for a creative project, no one wants to take a creative decision. Okay. <laughs> Be, because, because once you creative decision is final, right? Like when you make a creative decision is going to go in the film is going to go in front of the audience and you don't know whether it's going to succeed or not succeed. Right. So, so that pressure of making the creative decision is always on me because I'm the director <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, okay, I am confident about this, but I probably know what I don't want. I don't know what I want. <laughs> so, so that in in that sense, I really feel lonely sometimes, and I, I wish I had a I had some companionship or a companion to help me. 
So I think that um, for filmmaking, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, making a film is, is such much, so much more of an involved process than making a single image, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if one of my images biffs it, I can just delete it from my website and be like, well, that didn't work out. Um, but for a film, it's like, if you're making one decision that can alter the whole viewing experience, <laughs> that's a little different, you know? Yeah. I did have a guy come up to me, um, I think it was at the Santa Clara Art and Wine Festival, and um, he was looking at one of my images and he basically was telling me that if I removed everything about it that was meaningful and just left the background, it would be perfect. Oh. And I was like, thank you, you can leave now. You know, <laughs> I was just like, why are you saying that to me? It was like... <laughs> It was just so, I mean, I couldn't even get insulted about it. It was so invalidating, you know? And I was like, well, I'm just going to have another glass of wine and just move on with my day, you know? I mean, I used to be a soap maker and people would come up to my booth and they'd be like, I only use Dove. (laughs) I'm like, why are you telling me that? Like, you don't have to buy my soap, but just go away, you know? That's the the fun part about art and creations in general is like you have no clue how people are going to respond to your creation, right? Exactly. So so, uh, so usually like uh, earlier I used to be very wary of the fact that, okay, if I make this, like how will people react? How will people react to this? But I'm like, now it's like a... Uh, as I said, like the release process for the for the creation is completely dependent on me. Like I want, yeah. I have a bar, I'm meeting the bar in my creation and I'm <laughs> yeah. releasing it. Now, yeah. whether it, it gets watched, it gets thrown away. I mean, I don't care because, yeah. because I, I'm satisfied. That's <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's a lot like having kids. It's like they say, you know, at some point you have to release them into the world. Yeah. And, hope that you did your job well enough that they become <laughs> functioning members of society, you know? And sometimes you look at them and you're like, well, okay, maybe I could have done that a little better, but you know, it's already done. So there you Great. go. Uh, so yeah, in the interest of time, let me move on to the next question. Um, okay. So what is the biggest challenge you face in your creation process? I think, you know, the, the, how to, how to get the images out to more people is definitely the biggest challenge. Um, and that's, that's the piece that I think a lot of artists struggle with. Um, it, you know, what I'm learning is that you not only have to be good at your art, but you have to be good at the business side as well. So, you know, you can't be creating in a vacuum, just like if you make films, a lot of people in my creative writing workshops in in college, you know, if they, if someone got some negative critique about something, they'd go, well, I wrote it for myself. It's like, well, then why are you workshopping it? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, there's no point in creating if you're, if there's not going to be an audience for what you've created. Like that's, I think that's the whole point of it is that, that art of any kind is meant to be shared. So um, I think that's the, the biggest challenge right now is, is knowing how to do that, just mm. get the stuff out there. So I'm, I'm muddling through it. I've got open studios for Santa Cruz County this weekend. I'm doing mm. the art and wine festivals um, and that kind of thing. And I'm confident I will figure it out, but I haven't yet. <laughs> okay. 
uh, and what is the what is your vision for your creations like where do you want to go with your creations uh, i think i want to just keep getting better at it um, i want to exercise my imagination i want to get better at using the tools um, and and just i think that's my main goal but i think the the most amazing piece of what i've been doing over the past nine months is that when a person connects like really really connects with an image and how how moved they can be when they really get it and and relate to what they're seeing um i'm starting to think that i might want to take it into a little bit of a mental health um direction hmm. so i have six images that are being published um in november in a magazine called uh spoonie spoonie press and it's actually for people who struggle um with mental health issues and chronic illness um and and a lot of my pieces are about uh emotional and psychological healing so if there's a way that i can make people feel understood then i'm doing it not just for me but um i'm kind of contributing to society as well and i think that's maybe my greater purpose great okay uh so thanks a lot julian for visiting my podcast and it was really really great talking with you thank you this has been a lot of fun Thanks for tuning in. If you are a creator, I would love to talk with you. Please connect with me through my website or social media. See you in the next episode.